0: CHAPTER Eighteen OF QUINTUS OAKES, A DETECTIVE STORY This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kevin Davidson QUINTUS OAKES, A DETECTIVE STORY By Charles Ross Jackson MISADVENTURES Toward morning the crowd thinned, The street grew more quiet, although the very air still throbbed with action, even as the heart-strokes within us. Quickly, as events had come, we were yet only in the midst of our experiences. The clock in the chief's room was striking three, and drowsiness was stealing over me, as over the outside world, when a knock came at the front door, and Halland admitted a man, weary-eyed and panting. I recognized him as one of the men who had been masquerading about the mansion as a carpenter. He was dressed in a heavy jersey without a coat and was evidently suffering from fatigue. He walked over to Oakes and spoke to him in a low voice. The detective asked a question or two and turning looked at Dr. Moore, asleep in a chair, fagged out, then at me. I was wide awake, anticipating more trouble. Stone, said he. "'Are you good for a ride with me on horseback? "'We have found something important.' "'Yes,' I answered. "'I am ready.' Speaking a word to Hallen and Martin, Oakes drew me aside. "'Leave your overcoat. "'Come, we are needed.' We passed out into the night and down a side street, led by the man who had summoned us. In a few minutes we reached a stable and found horses, and I knew that it had been so arranged— we were mounted and off without notice from any but a hostler and the proprietor who had told me that my horse was strong and capable we pounded to the east along the highway toward Larona, for a mile or so then swerved into a narrow road winding across the plateau of the south and west i knew we were making for the river road below the mansion i had heard of this lane which swept in a long curve around the southern end of mona connecting the highway with River Road about two miles south of the mansion gate. As we galloped along, Oaks communicated to me the cause of our trip. Two of my men have located a hut deep in the forest at the south end of the mansion grounds. There is something going on there. They think they have the murderer. One of the men came for me, the other is watching.' I felt the blood surge to my brain, and the hardships of the night were forgotten in the intensity of my anticipations. At last, and I was to be at the finish. Instinctively, I felt for my revolver. It was safe, and the assurance that it was with me gave relief. Fortunately, I was a fair horseman, and my mount was one of those animals that respond to the rider's every command. My two companions were also well mounted, and the long ride was soon over. Arriving at River Road, we dismounted and left the horses in charge of the man who had accompanied us. Another man now came from the darkness, another of Oak's retinue. He was to lead us to the hut. Then we three entered the fringe of the woods and cautiously followed our guide deep into the denser section. The moon was hidden occasionally by fleeting clouds and as we advanced farther and farther, its rays ceased to reach us. All was gloom, deep and almost impenetrable. Our guide whispered, He is in the hut, sir, waiting for someone. Follow me. Then he advanced a few paces and led us through a more open section of the forest. Soon he stopped. Stay here until you see a light flash ahead. That is his signal. He has been here an hour, but his friend is slow in coming. Perhaps he knows it is too dangerous," said Oakes. Our guide went from us to a short distance to keep separate watch. The giant trees around were more scattered than elsewhere in the forest through which we had passed. Occasionally the sheen of the moonlight was visible far above us as the branches swayed in the breeze. Here below the air was quiet and the gloom deep. Our eyes, accustomed to it now, could detect the silent army of tree-trunks around us for a considerable distance. The air was chilly, but excitement kept us from feeling the need of our great-coats. Beneath our feet the ground was soft but dry, and the leaves were scattered about in profusion, for this was the fall of the year and the woods had begun to strip at the touch of the Frost King. Quintus Oak stood by my side behind a tree. We were both gazing intently in the direction that had been indicated to us. Nothing was visible for a few moments, when suddenly Oakes pressed my shoulder with his hand and said in a low, quiet voice, See, off there, that flash. I had noticed nothing, but as I drew breath to answer, I beheld the diverging rays of a light, probably a lantern, play up and down a tree trunk at least a hundred feet away. It moved quickly and then jumped to another trunk. In its transit it threw a long, narrow yellow streak on the ground between. Then it would be lost suddenly to view. I thought the trees intervened in our line of vision at such times, but Oakes explained, He is waiting and signaling with a dark lantern. See how the light is shut off at will. He is surely within a hut of some kind. I can see the outlines occasionally. "'What can he be up to?' I whispered. He is at least a mile from the mansion and nearly as much from the road.' "'That light is a guide,' said Oakes. "'His Confederate cannot find the hut without it. "'The forest is too dense.' We waited in silence, stealing very carefully nearer to the hut, and our patience was finally rewarded. We saw the door, which was sideways to us, open with a quick movement, and a man enter. Then all was dark within and without, save in one little spot where, through the back wall of the hut, a few rays found exit in long, narrow streaks of yellow light, scarcely visible to us. He has turned his bull's-eye away from the window and the door, and has not shut it. They are using the light for some purpose, said the detective, touching my arm and motioning me to follow him. With utmost caution we advanced until we were near enough to hear voices. At first they came to us as low, indistinct muttering, but as we neared the hut we determined that they were raised in argument. At our distance, however, we were unable to recognize either. "'Keep away from the front,' said Oakes, "'lest the door be opened and we be discovered.' We stationed ourselves in the shadow near the window, which was low in the side of this curious log cabin, for such we saw it to be. It was boarded inside, evidently, for the light was kept from without too well. Through the window we beheld two dim forms bending over a board table. One was handling something like paper in the diverging streak of illumination from the bull's-eye opening of the lantern, which was on the table, facing the back wall of the hut, just as Oakes had said. The figure could not be distinguished either as to face or form, for the light was very indistinct save in the immediate path of the rays. As we moved ever so little from our chosen positions, our vision of the table and the streak of light upon it was cut off, owing to the small size of the window. I knew by the movement of Oak's arm that he had secured his weapon, and I closed my hand about mine, holding it muzzled down by my side ready for instant use. The voices within became louder, and I distinguished the words, You must, man, you must get away. It was answered by a half-mumbled protest, and then we saw one figure arise and stoop over the light on the table. Here, take this and go. Oakes touched me, the murderer preparing to get away, he said. We could see a pair of hands counting what appeared to be money, then they extended their contents to the other hands that awaited them the figure who had given the money arose and with his back to us made as if to leave suddenly without an instant's warning we saw the form of the other come partially into view and an arm steal slowly upward as the first figure moved away it closed about his neck and a death struggle began revealed to us by the blurred swaying of the two and a deep despairing gasp from the man being strangled. "'Murder!' said Oakes, and we moved toward the door of the hut, with one thought in mind—the helping of a fellow being meeting his death at the hands of what we believed to be the assassin of Mona. I was excited. It was unquestionably the most trying moment of my life, and I met it as we had not foreseen. Advancing two steps hurriedly, my feet caught in one another somehow, and with a wild war-whoop of distress I fell forward on my face, carrying oaks with me, crashing headlong mix-up that must have been heard for a hundred yards in that still morning air. It was all over. The two in the hut heard us. The strangler released his hold, and the light was extinguished instantly. Out of the door the figures flew like demons. They were both anxious to escape detection that was evident. They must have thought it was the charge of the Light Brigade. Oakes and I were up and after them. He shouted a word of command, then I heard more footsteps, and our guide answered. Instantly came the sounds of a struggle, fierce but short in the darkness beyond. We could see nothing, but we heard a heavy fall, and then the rush of an escaping man or men. Oakes and I were quick to reach the spot, and managed to find our forest guide groaning on the ground. At Oaks' suggestion we carried him back to the hut, which I ascertained was now quite empty. It was a gruesome experience, this. Oakes refused to allow a match to be struck, saying, Don't draw their fire, Stone. We must be in a nest of them. My chagrin was deep as I thought of the opportunity that my clumsiness had brought to naught. We soon succeeded in reviving our man. He had been felled by a fist-blow on the face, evidently. "'Did you see the other fellow?' asked my companion. "'Yes, sir. I saw one. He was Skinner. I caught his face in the lantern light, just as they doused it.' "'Indeed,' cried Oakes, "'Skinner.' "'You mean the man who runs the newspaper, the one I have ordered shadowed?' "'Yes, sir. The same. It was he who was counting the money.' "'Yes, that agrees. Go on. Who was the other?' "'I did not see him at all, Mr. Oakes.' i ran into him or rather he into me i have a piece of his shirt here the man handed something to Oakes, and together we peered at it in the dim morning light we soon determined that it was a good-sized piece of the neck of a shirt then watching carefully the woods around i stood on guard while Oakes examined the inside of the hut it was an old hunter's cabin evidently and had not been recently used the table was made of rough boards and was supported by two stumps. It might have served as a place to lie upon also. Oakes uttered an exclamation as the guide handed him a piece of paper money that was found on the floor. Nothing else was found. The lantern had gone with the men. One man was giving money to the other to get him away, and nearly lost his life in defense of the rest in his possession. "'This is a piece of a bill torn off in the struggle,' said Oakes." "'Do you recognize this shirt pattern?' asked he. "'Yes, sir,' said our guide. "'It's like what O'Brien wears.' "'Exactly,' said Oakes. "'And you,' he addressed the man, "'come with us to the road. "'Can you walk that far?' "'Yes, indeed, I'm all right now. "'But I was finished for a few minutes.' "'You're knocked out well,' remarked Oakes. "'Lucky you were not killed.' We returned to River Road by the way we had come. Arriving there as dawn was breaking and the sun beginning to throw his rays across the plateau before us, we found our horses and the man who had escorted us from Mona. Oak spoke to him. Here, Bob, let Paul ride on your horse. He has had a smash. You walk. Both of you go to the mansion and tell the others to find O'Brien, if possible. Paul will explain. Make no arrests don't let your man get away we vaulted into our saddles and galloped ahead as we were returning to headquarters by way of the corners i felt like a culprit i was devoured by chagrin and thoroughly ashamed of my awkwardness oak's face was grave much more so than usual but he rode his horse with alertness and confidence and i wondered at the endurance he displayed also at his consideration for in this hour when keen disappointment must have been his He did not mention my mishap, which had so changed events. He acted as though it were beneath him to notice it, and that made me feel all the more mortified, but at the same time I vowed to redeem myself in his eyes. Dashing toward the mansion gate we both pulled up our horses as Oakes uttered a sudden exclamation. He rested one hand on the pommel of his saddle and pointed with the other at the man inside the mansion gate. His back was toward us, and he had been raking the wall, apparently. "'Look! Notice!' And the voice of my companion grew sharp and significant. "'Look!' The man was now reaching upward with one hand, the rake held within its grasp, and with a graceful, well-calculated swing he was deftly denuding a branch overhead of its dying leaves. "'Well, I see,' I answered. "'It's Maloney cleaning up.' "'Exactly,' came the staccato answer. "'but how about the strength of the wrist "'that can handle such a heavy rake "'with such certainty?' "'Oh, yes, he's strong,' I cried. "'He's got plenty of muscle, apparently. "'He has a strong wrist "'and a strong arm "'and not such an awfully large chest,' "'answered Oakes calmly, "'as though speaking of the weather "'or of something of no importance. "'Fool that I was, "'it was only then that his meaning "'suddenly went home "'to my slow-acting brain.' I saw a light in Oaks' eyes that I had never before seen. Cool, steely, calculating. No, I whispered, impossible. But you are searching for just such a person. Yes, of course, was the laconic answer. But let's talk with the gentleman of the rake. Oakes led the way to within a few feet of the gate, then rising in his stirrup shouted to Maloney. The latter turned and with a look of recognition came forward quickly towards us. "'Good morning, sir. Morning, Mr. Clark. "'I was going to headquarters for you soon. "'They told me you had gone there with Chief Hallen. "'Yes. Why did you wish to go there, Maloney?' "'Because, sir, there is something wrong, "'something about the mystery here. "'You know, sir, you left word to report "'if anything unusual happened.' "'Maloney spoke quietly and without embarrassment. "'We had noticed before that he was fairly well educated, "'another victim of unfortunate circumstances. "'What has occurred?' There was a hard ring in Oak's voice. It told me to be discreet. I had heard that accent before. Mr. Clark, I went down to the Roma last night to see my brother, who was sick. When I returned it was late I was on horseback, and I noticed a man on the road lighting a lantern. I spoke to him. He would not answer. Which started into the timber at the far south end of the grounds. Well, what was peculiar? It was Skinner, sir. Skinner? Yes, sir, I I saw his face by the light. I thought it was strange, tied my horse, and followed him. He went a long way into the woods to a hut and waited a couple of hours with the light. Then another man came, and they had a quarrel. There was a terrible noise, and then the light went out, and they disappeared. I went back to get my horse and just got here. Who's with Skinner? I don't know, sir. I was facing the door of the hut, but it was too dark to see. They worked with a dark lantern." We had quietly walked our horses up to the gate while listening to Maloney. Oaks' eyes were on the ground. Suddenly he looked up. "'Thank you very much, Maloney. You have done well in reporting to me. I will see Chief Hallen. This is a matter, perhaps, for the police, certainly not for me to work on.' Wheeling our horses, we darted to the corners and on toward Mona. Quintus Oaks was very quiet. He seemed annoyed or nonplussed and the pace that he set. Was terrific. As we neared the town, we slowed up, and I asked excitedly of the taciturn man by my side, Tell me what's up? He turned slightly in his saddle. Maloney was there, he acknowledged it. So far, he told the truth, but he lied about returning on horseback. There were no hoof marks going toward the stable, none entered the mansion gate, and he lied also about his brother in Lorona, for there is no such relative of his there. Maloney has no brothers or sisters hereabouts. I now remembered Oak's careful scrutiny of the ground while we were talking with Maloney, and I also realized how close was the net he had spread about everyone at the mansion. If Maloney was at the hut, how did he get back ahead of us, I asked. Ran, of course. Took the inside way through the woods. He knows the paths well. He may not only have been near the hut, Stone, he may have been in it, If so, he tried to kill Skinner, for the old man had money. Then Oakes continued, Perhaps it was Maloney who was about to get away if he could. But he can't, the detective added with a sardonic smile as he closed his jaws firmly. But, I exclaimed, suppose it was Maloney? What of O'Brien? He was there. We have his shirt, in part at least. Oh, bother O'Brien, he makes me tired, cried Oakes enigmatically. "'he would get himself into trouble some day.' "'Yes, yes,' I contended. "'But he, too, has strong arms and a strong wrist, "'and could have used the revolver. "'Surely so could many men. "'These clues are merely the primary ones. "'Many men answer their requirements. "'They are worth very little by themselves. "'They simply point to a certain type of man. "'They are simply links as yet unforged into the chain. "'But one more thing, Oakes,' I cried, Why should maloney volunteer the information that he was at the place if he had no good excuse for being there that's it exactly perhaps he mistrusts he was seen and wants to get in his story first perhaps he cannot hold his tongue perhaps his mind is weak we are looking for a mind somewhat unusual stone remember that we were now at the square in front of the little hotel and dismounting we proceeded to enter the door of the inn as we did i took my companion by the arm and drew him aside say Oakes," i said don't tell dr moore how i involved matters by that stumble i would never hear the end of it Oakes looked surprised then his eyes beamed in merriment he smiled ever so slightly that certainly was a beautiful charge you made over me said he he did not promise not to tell however but months afterwards dr moore learned all about it from me and i then found that quintus had remained silent end of chapter 18 recording by kevin davidson www.blogordie.com